Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Hey everyone, super excited for today. I have someone here who I have admired for a very long time. His name is Anthony Lombados. He grew up in the catering business working for his father and founder of Footers Catering in Denver, Colorado. Anthony and his wife, April, purchased the business in 2010 and have successfully made the transition to a second generation family business. Anthony and April are focused not only on building a great catering company, but more importantly, on creating a great place to work. In 2012, they moved footers from its home of 20 years to a new building almost twice the size, which is super cool. I've seen it. Their offices include an awesomeness room, which we're going to ask about with games and activities for employees, an outdoor patio for gatherings, and impromptu meetings. Employees are allowed to paint and decorate their own offices however they like. So clearly a place we could all be happy working. In 2015, Footers Catering was named Small Business of the Year by the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce and Best Caterer in Denver by Colorado Biz Magazine. As a sought-after speaker at CaterSource, Anthony is passionate about helping caterers create a culture that allows their businesses to thrive. He specializes in leadership and management of teams with a focus on operational structure and employee engagement. Through advanced hiring practices and coaching techniques, he has helped business owners reduce turnover, and his formula for tracking performance helps companies build a foundation on which they can grow. Anthony graduated from the University of Oregon with a BS in business and in economics. He is the president of the Denver Advisory Board, and in 2010, he was named one of Denver's top 25 most influential young professionals in Denver by Colorado Biz Magazine. Anthony, I'm so glad you're on the show with us today. Yes, thank you, Tamara. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. So let's start with, we talked a little bit about the history of Footers, but for context, when you took over the business, what was your vision moving forward? Yeah, that's a, a great question. We, uh, you know, Footers has a rich history from my dad starting in 1981 and, and even further back when the, uh, he opened the original rest, Footers restaurant in Capitol Hill in 1977. Um, and so we, we've been very fortunate to have, have a, a longstanding tradition in the Denver area of, of serving great food. Uh, but our, our mission was really envisioned was to build on what he had built already. Um, how do we add to it? How do we make it even better? Um, and how do we create a great place to work was, was kind of our biggest focus, more so than just being the biggest caterer in Denver. We wanted to do something that was uh, a little bit unique and, and have some fun. So tell me a little bit. I want to dig into that because I don't think that that's everybody's first inclination. I think whether you're starting a business or doing what you did, taking over a business and taking it to the next level. I think oftentimes we think our first inclination is I'm going to grow the business or I'm going to, you know, increase profit margins. Why, why make it a great place to work? Why start there? Well, originally it was a, it was a little bit of a, a selfish uh, thing in thinking that, Hey, if we're going to spend this much time at work, let's make it fun. Um, and we don't want to, we don't want to come to a place where we, we kind of have a mantra that says work doesn't have to suck. Um, <laughs> so, you know, for, for us, the, it, it was, if we're going to spend that amount of, uh, that amount of time doing something, let's make it fun. Uh, and so as time has gone on, we've seen that, that 
it's more than just about having fun. And it always has been. We've always wanted to do great work. Um, but that just kind of mantra and underlying factor of, of if we create a great place to work, um, the success that we've had, we've been extremely fortunate uh, that it's paid off and, and we've we've had some incredible results. So would you say then, and I'm not exactly sure how to ask this, but that that focus on a workplace, uh, the right workplace has led to the bottom line. And I just, the re- I mean, it sounds like such an obvious question. I mean, I know the answer for you, but uh-huh. you know, I'm asking because I think sometimes we separate those two things as if, you know, culture, workplace, focusing on our employees is um, the icing on the cake versus part of the foundation. Or it's going to cost you more money and therefore yeah. um, be an expense as opposed to, to something you invest in. Uh, and I think that that's a mind shift that some business owners I talk to have it and, and some can't see past it. I was given a tour of our facility and uh, a business owner said, oh, I'd just have a heart attack if I saw my hourly employees playing Papa Shot, which is one of the games we have. Um, and it was just it was it was eye opening for me because it was just I, I could see that she had a mindset that that was a waste of time. Um, and we had a mindset of this is going to enhance uh, our team's enjoyment of their job and therefore enhance their productivity. Do you, well, you know, I wanted to ask you about, because we talked offline, this was a, I don't know, a month ago now, we were, I was interviewing you for something else. And when you were saying, you know, great culture and a, an innovative culture isn't about the ping pong table. Yes, yes. We just talk about that, because I do, to your, what you were just saying too, I do also think that, you know, we make the mistake of thinking, well, if I have, you know, a soda machine with 20 different options, a ping pong table and beer on Fridays, I'll have a great culture. And I, I don't think that's true either. No, and I think that's the, that's the misconception that we've looked to Silicon Valley and, and we've seen some of the cool stuff that they do and say, oh, well, let's just do that at our facility. And it doesn't necessarily work like that. Um, you know, if your po- employees don't like ping pong, then it's kind of useless to have a ping pong table. And <laughs> the number of ping pong tables I see in offices that have a, a good layer of dust on them is uh, is not surprising when you, when you think about that. Um, and so the culture really comes back to... You know, it's not about the perks. The perks are part of it. Um, but the culture truly is how your employees um, and your team interacts with one another. How do they behave? How do they work? Um, what are all the things that happen that are, you know, not in the, the orientation or not in the, the handbook that, that go on that are kind of the unwritten rules, if you will, uh, of the company that if you ask somebody here um, at, at a company, what happens in this situation, you know, most people know, oh, this is this is what's going to happen. But that's not written down anywhere. Um, it's just a product of the behavior of, of all the team members. So as you've grown the business and really built a strong workplace culture, what do you think are some of the key elements in doing that for other business owners out there? You know, you talked a little bit just now about, you know, making it a great place to work and people working together. What are those elements that really bring it to life? Well, for, for us, I will say we, we have three areas of focus when we talk about culture. And we have our culture club um, that is more than just a party planning committee. And I know a lot of companies have their, their group and they end up just planning the parties for, for everybody. And yeah. 
Um, and, and parties are part of culture. Don't get me wrong. And it's a huge part of our culture. We do, we do quite a few events for our team. Um, but our culture club focuses on three areas, fun, which includes the parties, relationships. If we're doing an event, if we're doing anything, um, uh, how are we building relationships within our team? Because when you know somebody, um, you're much more willing to, to enjoy coming to work with them and much more patient, uh, much more understanding uh, with them. And, and it just fosters a much better environment. And then the third is recognition. You know, at some level, everybody wants to be recognized. And so our culture club really focuses on those three elements and how can we make sure we're doing that. Um, and it's not just a small group of people that's doing that. How do we permeate this so that everybody in the company is doing it, or we provide an opportunity and a platform for these things to, to organically happen. Um, and, and so that's how we've we've really gone about it and focused on uh, on our culture. And, and the interesting thing about culture as well is, uh, you know, in the beginning, it was something that just happened. And, and it was a product of how we uh, interacted with one another. And, and we were kind of all rallying around this, hey, we can do this. Um, you know, we can make this transition to the second generation. And we were just having a lot of fun. And over time, as we've gotten a little bit older, um, and, and lives change. People have started to have kids and now families. Uh, we've had to be much more intentional about it, that it's not just, hey, everybody, let's go out for, for beers after this party. Now there's other demands that people have. And so um, that organic opportunity for the bonding to happen doesn't necessarily happen as much as it did in the beginning. And so the evolution of our, our culture and being much more intentional about some of these things uh, has been kind of cool in my in, in my perspective. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I just flash back to a memory of um, uh, this consulting firm where I used to, I was a VP there and the president always wanted to do drinks on Fridays, Friday evenings. And I had two young kids at the time, like uh -huh. very young. And I just kept thinking, oh my God, I really, I just want to go home. Like, why are you making me do this? And, you know, his effort was to try to bring us together, but there were half of us who really didn't want to be there. Yep. And the other half who probably wanted to be with their friends, to be honest, you know, but it, it is interesting how we get, we get tied down to this, you know, this one little thing that, seems like a good idea, but I think what you said kind of really brings it to life, which is, is that something your people actually even want from you? And, you know, so I, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about this whole awesome thing <laughs> because <laughs> it is plastered across your office, but not only is it plastered across like on the, the parking sign when, you know, potential clients come up, there's things all around the office for it, there's posters, but people also talk about their awesome moments. And by awesome moments, it's not just internal, but I've heard them talk about externals as well, things with their clients, like I think fixing a flat tire, rushing to get a broken, you know, fridge repaired so that they could have fresh food and all this stuff. Why awesome? And how does that help you stand out from the competition? Because it really is more than just a fun word for you guys. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. So awesomeness is one of our core values. And that was uh, sprung out of it originally was excellence, to be honest with you. And, uh, it, you know, as we were playing around with it, it just didn't feel right. Excellence felt um, just a little stodgy, a little bit like, oh, yeah, let's be excellent at what we're doing. And, and our culture is, is a lot more fun. Um, and, and so we wanted something that embodied that a little bit more. And so um, in the same way that people say, you know, good is the evil to great, that once you get to good, you're kind of happy and, and you won't push yeah. to great. We, we've kind of... Uh, said that excellence is the evil to awesomeness, that um, awesomeness is, is doing something that, that is really great work, which 
in my opinion, is is what excellence stands for. But awesomeness is something that makes you, you know, take that step back um, and, and almost kind of a, a wow or wow, that I did not expect that. Um, in, in seeing a product in a way that, that maybe you haven't seen it before or been delivered a, a service moment that you weren't expecting. Um, it just takes it a little bit beyond beyond the excellence. So yes, we're, we're very, uh, we love it. It's, it is plastered everywhere. We have the awesomeness room and we have our parking spots that are reserved for awesomeness. Um, but, uh, but what's been cool is, is as you said, how that results to our clients and some of the, you know, we have our, our core value awards every year and we give out the service moment of the year. And it is one of the most difficult things to sort through because like you said, we have, you know, this year it was, uh, you know, one of our chefs ran down an ice cream truck that was playing its music while a, a wedding ceremony was going on that we were catering and had them shut off their music. Um, you know, something like that you don't expect cool. the caterer to do. And, you know, yeah. this past Saturday we got a, a Facebook message from um, a guest at a wedding, and he said, "You know, I got to tell you, one of your employees, Paige, she um, stopped to help me when I was stuck in the snow after catering an event at at um, Evergreen Lake House." And and so, you know, the fact that our team is willing to do those things, as you mentioned, you know, yeah, we've fixed a flat tire for a client before. Um, th- those are things, like I said, that you you don't expect from a caterer. Um, and I'm proud that our team embodies that. Just how do we do things that are are awesome and, and really just helpful for people, provide them an out, outstanding level of service. You know, and I, what I love about all these stories too is, um, and this is really for the people out there listening to really think about this as, you know, Anthony's talking is I, I would, I would argue that uh, good service, uh, even great service, great product is cost of entry these days. Oh yeah. You know, and, and I mean, I'm not in the catering world, but I would venture to say that other people have good food as well. Yep. So that's not what people make decisions on anymore. They make decision on that extra layer, that packaging that makes you different that you bring to the table. And w- wouldn't you say that that this whole awesomeness thing is, I think part of that that's helped you do that. Oh, definitely. I I think it was an exercise we went through and, and we've got some phenomenal, you know, competition. Um, and we're friendly with many of the, the top caters here in Denver. Um, but I looked at, you know, I, I copied and pasted parts from the front page of, of all the, you know, the top five caters websites. And I just read them to our team and nobody could tell the difference between. Right. <laughs> That's such a great exercise. Just what you I said. love that. You know, we serve great food yeah. and great service, and we've been around for 25 years in the Denver metro, Denver area. And it's like, yeah, they're. Uh, they, it all sounds about the same. And so, yes, this was something that that was maybe a little rogue. That hey, look, we're going to just be fun. We're going to create a great place to work, and we're going to uh, put on some awesome events. And so that's a. Uh, um, it's been cool to see that that come to fruition and the people that, that, that love working with us are the people that get it. They come to our building and they see what we're doing and they say, this is really cool. I know these people, um, this team is going to take great care of me on my special day, on my wedding or, um, you know, our product launch or whatever event they're celebrating. Um, you know, it's cool for us to be part of some of the most special days in people's lives. Yeah, that, that is awesome. If I dare say, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think as a business owner, it's a great reminder that um, or product owner, you know, wherever you fit on the on the scale, I think it's a great reminder that you really do have to figure out what your d- point of differentiation is. And you did that really by the inside out, which I think is really cool. You started with the employees and the work workplace, and that trickles out to your clients. And I would probably say that a lot of the best companies in the world, if you look at how they approach their teams, they really do start there, and that takes care of everything else in a lot of ways. Yes, definitely. 
So let's talk a little bit about your values. So you have a strong bent towards innovation. It's part of your values. It's in your work, uh, but it goes beyond words on the wall for your group. Will you just talk about how innovation has infused itself across your organization? Oh, definitely. Yes, it, it is one of our core values, but we try to activate all of our core values, if we will, and not just have them be words on a wall and, and truly live by them. Um, and so innovation shows up in two points. One, it, it is a core value, um, but two, it's part of our mission statement. Our mission statement is love what you do, make it better every day, and create exceptional experiences for our clients and their guests. And so that middle part, uh, you know, I was recently reading a book on, um, and, and it was a uh, CEO of, he, he was the former CEO of Gillette, and he was talking about innovation shows up in two forms. And one is, um, you know, constant improvement, and the other is big bang innovation. And, and you have to have kind of a balance of, of both. Um, and for us, that make it better every day piece of our mission statement is that continuous improvement that we want to take everything we've done and how will we just keep making it a little bit better, those incremental improvements, um, that it doesn't just have to be about this miraculous, oh my gosh, we have the most innovative moment and now we have a new product. It, it doesn't always happen like that. Um, it takes those small steps, small steps, and then all of a sudden, um, as you're doing that, something big will come along. Um, but if you're just waiting for something big or that perfect moment or that new product, um, it's going to take a long time and it might not ever come. And so for us, that's that's our way of, of in making that happen. Um, and, and so, you know, when it's become a, you know, the acronym here, we have the MIBE tribe, um, which is make it better every day. And so or people say MIBE and anytime they see something that, that um, somebody made better. Um, and so it's kind of a cool thing that you hear almost every day. Somebody's talking about that. Um, so, so that's part of it. We have task forces, um, that draw on people from all different departments. So we may have a, um, you know, uh, our menu task force, which is responsible for, you know, culinary innovation and coming up with new new menu items. And traditionally, that's something that, you know, in other companies is just done by the culinary team. But for us, we want to bring our culinary team, some of uh, the people from our sales team, maybe some of the people from the service team, um, and even our warehouse to really sit down each month to talk about what do we want to do um, and how do we move that forward. And having those different perspectives and that collaboration uh is really cool because you get those, you know, the kitchen maybe wanted to go down one route and the sales team is saying, no, you know, no one's, no one's buying the, the pork entrees. You know, we need something different. We need, you know, we need additional duck entrees or we need, you know, a variety. We need more than just filet. We need more beef entrees. And so um, talking through that from different perspectives is, is really cool. You know, I love that. I'm a big fan of um, cross-functional teams, especially when those, Cross-functional teams are people who are kind of up and downstream from what you do and where you do it. Like to your point about the kitchen, the salespeople are the ones who then have to sell it. Uh -huh. You know, the people on site are the ones who have to serve it. Yep. And I, I think the mistake we often make with innovation is that we we expect, you know, this one person with this one expertise to be the, the, the person or the department to solve it, but they're not privy to the downstream of it, of what happens once we implement, um, which is so ridiculous, in my opinion, to not include those people. Regardless of the fact, they may not have no kitchen expertise. That doesn't matter. What matters yeah. is they're the ones that have to deal with it. So why wouldn't we include them? It boggles my mind exactly. how siloed people get. They know if, if, if somebody, if they're passing an hors d'oeuvre and, and somebody's going to take a bite out of it, what it's going to do. Because um, yeah. they've seen it, it fall over somebody's dress. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I think that was me. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. 
<laughs> probably. <laughs> I, I drop everything, so it's probably me. I, I can't. I can't walk away from a, a a meal without a stain on my shirt. I have not figured out the problem, but. <laughs> You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on With Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff, Zoe, is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition, and I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy, but before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code TAMARA. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. Uh, and you know, the other thing I wanted to say too is, and ask you a little bit more about it is, you know, I, I'm a hundred percent, we've talked about this offline. I'm a hundred percent believer in it's those tiny little innovations every single day that add up to the big bang. Mm-hmm. And all too often we're looking for that big blue sky thing that we don't know yet. Yep. But, uh, but to, to suddenly get there is actually really exhausting, really hard. And, and most of the time fails and doesn't happen. But if we're doing it regularly, we get to those places. So have you found that, you know, having everybody make those little adjustments, those little improvements every day has gotten you to those big, big places oh, you know, by the process? Definitely. It's, you know, we have our, our Jimmy Buck program, um, which is kind of our recognition program for our team when everyone does something that embodies one of our core values. Um, a team member can submit for that person to get a, a Jimmy Buck. And Jimmy's my dad, so it pays tribute to him. And it's this little dollar that has his face on it and has a tab that says what they did to, to get that. Um, but that was a something that started as uh, we called it acts of awesomeness. Um, and it was just kind of clunky. And now it's this full blown system where there's electronic method that people can submit for the Jimmy Bucks. And um, you can use your Jimmy Bucks in our swag store to get um, jackets and hats. And, you know, in, in the first iterations, it was, like I said, clunky, and there was a drawing and you ran, won a random prize. And so as that as we, we made those small improvements to it, all of a sudden, this idea of the, the 
Jimmy Bucks came and then it really took off. Um, and, and it was kind of that big bang moment for us. So, um, we've seen that happen in a lot of different, different areas within our company. And it's, um, it, it's cool to see. When you think about kind of a culture of innovation, because I think you've done a really great job of bringing that to life in your company. When you think about that, what advice do you have for other business owners about how to get there? So how to get your employees beyond the, like, I just come in and I do my job and I leave, but I'm really invested in, you know, figuring out those challenges and seizing those opportunities, because ultimately that's what innovation boils down to in in a lot of ways, thinking differently about, you know, what's right in front of you. What advice do you have for them? Well, you're right. It takes extra work. Uh, and so that's tough when you're asking your team when they're, you know, busy and they've got their, their day-to-day jobs that, you know, oh gosh, I have to do something else or I have to be part of this task force. Um, and so I think that goes back to, to your vision and mission of your team really understanding why you're in business and why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and so for us, it's this bigger purpose of wanting to be part of something bigger that's always getting better. Um, and so that's, you know, you got to budget your budget time for it and say that this is a priority. Um, you know, we get really, really busy in the summer, but that doesn't mean we stop our task force meetings or we t- stop our work on our strategic plan. Um, because those are the times to, to still say, Hey, we might not be meeting as frequently, but we're going to continue to make this a priority for us and not just let it get kicked to the side because it's not pressing and not immediate right now. Um, and so that takes a lot of discipline um, and it takes a lot of buy-in from your team. The other thing is, you know, if you're going to ask your team for, for their ideas, you got to listen to them. Uh, I see yeah. a lot of, I, I see a lot of companies that say they listen to their team um, and, and maybe they have a comment box or send out a survey, but they don't ever act on those things or they don't ever implement some of those things. And so I see a lot of employees get um, disenchanted with it and say, why bother if I, why bother to come up with something if, if nothing's ever going to be done with it? Um, and so that's one of the things that I think is cool when, when somebody brings an idea or we push something forward, um, it may not be exactly what, um, they came up with that we implement, but we're using that and, and flushing it out and, um, and really pushing it forward and, and shining a light on it, um, as opposed to just shutting it down. You know, what you just said is so important about that. And I, I think you were at this event where I actually spoke and someone asked a question, um, it was a the Lakewood Country Club. And I don't remember the, the people's names, but basically the question was, why don't we get better ideas? We have a feedback box and we look at them, but half of them are crap and we don't, you know, we can't do anything with any of them. I don't know if you remember that, if you were there. Yeah. You, I know you were there, but yeah. I don't know if you remember the question. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I almost fell over on the stage because like, well, I could tell you exactly why <laughs> you don't yeah. get good ideas yeah. because you have the, you know, black box, which is turned into the black hole of suggestions and you're not even taking your people's ideas seriously. So... Yeah. It is so, what you're saying is so important, and I think with that loop of you have to you have to be invested into actually taking action on those ideas. If you and especially if you want the more innovative ideas, where there maybe seem a little riskier, or going to take a little more time or investment, you have to actually be willing to implement. And and I think it's implied in what you're saying. You have to you have to provide a feedback loop that tells them we heard all your ideas. Mm-hmm. Here are the ones we're picking, and here's why. Here's the ones we're not picking, and here's why. Because I, I don't know if you yeah. found this, but I found that with my team, as long as I explained to them the rationale and they felt heard, it's okay that I didn't pick their right specific idea or that it looks different. What For matters sure. is the communication. Yeah. Oh, I, I could not agree more. I think that's that's very well said. The, the other thing we've tried to do is we, we call it embrace the 
80 or 90% solution. Um, and especially when a new idea comes, it's tough to think about, okay, how will that work? Or how does that, um, how, how will that manifest itself? Um, and we get caught up thinking that we have to have, it has to be perfect to implement it, or it has to be, you know, this, this ready to go key in, let's take it and, and run with it. Um, and so for us, it was a couple of years ago that we, we really embraced that. Okay. Let's just start and let's try to get 80% of the way there. And if we get 80% of the way there, that's, that's quite a bit ahead of where we are now. Um, and we'll figure the 20% out later as we, as we go. Um, but not having to have it all ready to go right out of the gate, um, was a, a big game changer for us that, um, was really, you know, uh, a hurdle that we weren't able to get over to over in a many in many situations, and it just stopped us from working on projects or stopped us from pushing things forward. I want to dig here for a second because I think this is a huge, huge challenge for uh, entrepreneurs and big businesses just across the spectrum when it comes to actually implementing new ideas, particularly yeah. the more innovative ones, the ones that, like I said, are you know a little maybe feel a little riskier or a little different than what you normally do. How how did you get to that decision? And when you first tried it. How did it work? I want to, I want to, and if you can give a case study, that would be great. Cause I want to dig in because this is, I mean, you nailed it. It is one of the biggest hurdles for companies. So they end up stuck what they're always doing and not improving. Right. So yeah, I'll give you the, the case study where we had our breakthrough. We were uh, trying to automate what we call our pack list. So our event coordinators have to put together basically a list of all the equipment they're going to need for, for that event, plates, the, you know, ovens, the everything. And this was a, you know, three or four page packet that they had to fill out. It probably took them close to, you know, 45 minutes to an hour to do for each party. Uh, and so our goal was, how do we automate this? We, we have this software system that they were using to generate proposals. All of the information was in there. And then we knew it had the capability, but we just weren't doing it. And so we had tried three times to on this project and get given up because we couldn't get it perfect. It, it wouldn't automate 100%. And so um, each of the three times we'd make a little progress and then it would just say, oh, no, it doesn't do this. So uh, we're not going to be able to make this work. And we'd get frustrated and we'd give up. And so finally, the last time I said, okay, this is the last time we're going to approach this. And if it doesn't work, we're not ever going to come back to it. Um, and so that was kind of our mission that, okay, we, we, this is it, this is, it's either now or never that we're going to, we're going to do this. Um, and we took a step back and said, okay, there's this portion that we've really struggled with. What if we didn't even worry about that? And we just did that manually and, um, the rest of it automated. And so we started to have conversations and talk about that and said, oh yeah, well, we're basically there. We can do this and make this tweak. And if we do this, and so within, I think it was two weeks, we had a 80% automated pack list that saved the coordinators over, you know, 30 minutes of time. And yeah, they should still had to go in and manually add a few things. Um, and that over time has even gotten smaller and smaller because, you know, I'm getting into the nitty gritty, but, you know, we realized there were things that were on every party. So why audit, why have to add those? Let's always pack them. And there was a feature to be able to do that, that they would always pack. And so, um, now we're down to, I mean, I think they spend, you know, 10 to 15 minutes, um, maybe adding some things and, and we've just continually made that better and better. But, um, it's something that we gave up on three times before the final time where uh, we really pushed through only because we embraced the fact that we don't have to have this be a perfect solution. Let's get it to 80%, 90%, and we'll, we'll go from there. 
That's such a great, it's such a great case study. And, and I, I would venture to say too, that there are some things that you wouldn't have even realized you needed until you started playing with the actual system and actually right. implementing it. Yep. So to try to get it perfect on paper before you even implement is kind of a, a false exercise anyway. Uh-huh. No, it definitely was. And that was, a you know, part of our trial too, was doing it side by side, the new way and the old way insuring. And I think we went a month of just, you know, doing almost double work, which is tough. Um, that's the other thing to get it to figure it out. Yeah. When you talk about implementing a new project, we, we also talk about the, the J curve and how you, you know, your productivity at one level, you know, you don't just go from a straight line from, you know, up from here to, I'm going to be more productive after we implement this. There's this little dip and it creates this J that for a period of time, it's actually going to be harder and more difficult and take you more time. And you're not going to be as efficient. Um, because you have to work through that new process. But during that dip is when a lot of the naysayers will jump on board and say, Oh, I told you this wasn't going to work, or I knew this was, wasn't going to, uh, wasn't going to be better. Um, and so if you are upfront about that from the beginning and say, Hey, this is going to take longer for the next month, for the next two weeks, this, I know this is going to, going to be tough for us. You, you, you kind of, get that out on the table and everybody says, okay, let's all work together to get, to make that uh, transition as short as possible. How do we make it two weeks or three weeks as opposed to the the people that are holding on, dragging it back? You know, the irony I think about the naysayers is in some ways they get a bad rap. They do it to themselves a little bit, but we also need them to poke holes and figure out how to fix those things too. Right. You know, so if you can leverage them, which it sounds like you're doing by by setting it up correctly, setting up the expectations, they can actually be very helpful in shortening that J curve and, and making that idea even stronger than it was to start. For sure. Yeah. They get a bad rap. Poor naysayers. <laughs> I know I'm married. I'm married to one. I get it. Totally get it. Uh, uh, you know, one of the things that you help... Um, Uh, other business owners do is uh, around performance tracking and you have a really strong way that's actually that actually works (laughs) versus being a point in time exercise that everybody rolls their eyes at and has to do will you just talk a little bit about how you how you track performance and how that system came about um yeah so that's one of the things um we, uh, I love my spreadsheets. So we track quite a few, <laughs> quite a few metrics, maybe, maybe more so that more than we need to. Um, but yeah, I mean, performance for us, it, having those clear expectations uh, from the get go. And then once you, once you have that, people want to know how they're doing. They come to work and want to do a good job. And so you have to give them that feedback. And we have you know, our one-to-ones each month where we spend, a, you know, at least an hour period of time. And as opposed to the traditional annual review, we're doing that much more frequently. So it's every month we're going over, okay, what are you, um, uh, you know, what did you accomplish? What, where are your metrics right now? Uh, what are you, what does this look like moving forward? What are your major goals that you need to accomplish? Um, and it's more of a conversation that, that happens uh, with somebody. And so from that standpoint, people really know, where they're coming from, uh, or where they stand, um, and what they need to do to improve. I, I think uh, the the continual part of it is is part of what makes it so powerful too, because that annual review by that point it's too late. Why? Yeah. I don't know why people would wait that long. Uh, how do you how how can you even reference things that happened eight months ago, nine, ten, right. twelve months ago? Well, and how can I improve upon it if you don't tell me? Right. Exactly. A whole year. It made, that part also has never. I used to hate annual reviews. Cause I'm like, this is such a waste of time. It but is. Uh, 
Yeah. So, so with that though, so you, so you have this, this thriving company. And as I said in your bio and in your intro, you know, you do a lot of keynote speaking as well as consulting for other catering businesses as well. We just talk a little bit about how that works for you and kind of when they, when you get that phone call to come in and, and help someone. Oh yeah. It's, um, you know, it's a lot of fun that there's, Within the catering industry, we're very fortunate. We've got a, a, a really good reputation, and there's a lot of people that look to us um, in terms of kind of leaders with the whole culture thing. Uh, I think you know tech has has been on this for a long time, uh, but food service and uh, catering restaurants have it tends to have tended to lag behind in the whole. Hey, let's the importance of really creating a great place to work, and it's a uh, industry that's just you know ripe with turnover. It, it's something where yes, we have some um, you know natural positions that that aren't going to be lifelong positions. Whether whether it's the front of the house server or um, you know chefs that are looking to to work their way up. Um, and so a lot of times when I'm coming in, it's it's a it's a mind shift of okay, what do we need to do to um, better retain our employees? You know, we're we're turning them over too fast. How do we how do we make sure that that the effort we spend training them doesn't go to waste. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of talk about that, uh, you know, and, and just leadership. How, how are you leading your team for the owners that I work with um, in diving into to their process? And in our, you know, we have a very collaborative environment here. And that's not to say that everybody has to have a collaborative environment to, to be successful. Uh, but that's, that's my style. April and I, we've, said that's how we want to operate this company and it's worked for us um other people just because they may have a you know hey it's my way or the highway doesn't mean they can't have a great culture it just means that they need to build around that them trying to build a collaborative culture will actually backfire um and do more damage to the company than if they they kept going with where they were um but just kind of build around that yeah you do have a very collaborative style that is also very true. Um, <laughs> Sometimes so, it holds us back. We, uh, <laughs> we have, there's, it, it takes a long time for us to make decisions because we get so much input from everybody. Um, and so we recognize that. We understand that um, we may not be as fast to, uh, to do something, but we, we try to overcome that with, with empowerment of our team. So if, if our yeah. team sees something that needs to be done or that can be done, there's not a lot of bureaucracy that they have to run it up the, the flagpole. Um, of, of oh, hey, how do I, you know, do I, can I do this? Do I have approval? So there's a lot of stuff that gets done to, to circumvent that. But for major things, yeah, we, we have get, try to get everybody's input. Well, and I would, you know, I, two things I would say on that one is, you know, I always define collaboration as it's the right people getting together at the right time to solve the right challenges. Ooh, I like so, that. Yeah, so it doesn't always have to be every, I think sometimes we mistake, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but we mistake collaboration with consensus, uh-huh. um, which are two very different things. And consensus can water down an idea, collaboration can build. But I would also add to that, that the more time you spend on the front end collaborating, the less time you spend on the back end trying to get buy-in. Yeah. So, you know, and I think, right, so you, you've experienced that. It, it's, you're almost better served exhausting the front end in some ways. Right. Right. So what's the one piece of advice you have for business owners or, you know, that one lesson you've had over the years that you'd like to share? <laughs> I, you know, two, funny three, I, whatever. <laughs> I have quite a few because every year I try to reflect on, okay, what was the, the number one thing I, I really learned this year? Um, you know, the one lesson I will say that, that is top of mind for me is that it's not enough to say it once. I think at one point we thought, oh, we've told everybody 
this is our core values or we've told everybody this is our mission and, and we go about our business um, and we keep doing what we're doing. And so um, I, I think it was four or five years ago that, that we realized, no, that's not enough. We have to talk about this every single day. Um, that some way we have yeah. to highlight when we see things that embody our core values or somebody doing something that is perfect to our mission statement, um, we need to highlight it, talk about it, say it right there, thank them for that. Um, even, you know, we do random quizzes of our, our mission statement to make sure our team knows it. Um, it's something that we came up with that was, we wanted it to be easy to remember, um, just three lines. But I, when you go ask a lot of my team members, especially my management team, they'll know that mission statement just right off the, right off the bat. And I, I think there's a lot of companies that can't necessarily say that. Oh my gosh. I mean, I just met with a company yesterday who, and this was senior leadership and they each had a different articulation. <laughs> of the vision oh. and the mission of the company. I thought, oh, we uh-huh. might want to clear that up first before we get into new ideas. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, yeah, so many of them are just this, you know, nicely worded phrase. There's, a, you know, that we strive to be an industry leader yeah. and this and that. And it's like, uh, blah, blah, blah. What does that really mean? Um, and, and if it doesn't resonate with people, um, then, then it's in one ear and out the other, or it's just a, a plaque hanging on the wall. And, um, it doesn't really, it's not indicative of what's actually happening within the business. You know, you're so right though. And I, I, you were definitely not the first entrepreneur to say to me, you know, one of my biggest lessons is you have to repeat yourself and Uh you have to really, um, you know, dig things in and and not assume that people get it out of the gate because you've said it once. And it's funny because I think it's as particularly as the business owner and the entrepreneur, we hold a lot in our heads and it's obvious in our heads so, you know, we think about it every single day, but we got to get our teams to do that. Too. I mean, they want to, but we've got to create the environment to make that happen. Exactly. So I meant to ask you just very quickly before I get to the last question is tell me a little bit about who Footers Catering works with. So I'm listening to this and I'm like, oh my God, I totally want some awesomeness at my next event. <laughs> do you have a size, a client type? Who, who do you work with? Yeah. So we're a full service catering company. Uh, and so what we really specialize in is, is large events. Uh, weddings are a big part of our business. Um, we do a lot of uh, black tie fundraisers and galas for nonprofit organizations. And we do uh, work for corporations on, on new product launches or grand openings. Um, any event where our service team is going to be there uh, to, to take care of the, the event, set it up, serve the meal or the hors d'oeuvres, um, and then clean it up at the end of the night um, and then cook it as well. We, we cook all of our food on site. And, and that's one of the things that um, is, is kind of unique about us that we bring ovens, grills, whatever we need. Um, and so we're serving the food as close to the time as it was prepared as possible. Well, that's cool. I didn't know that part too. That's pretty awesome. I love it. <laughs> All right, Anthony, what's the one thing people would be surprised to learn about you? You know, a hobby, experience, passion. I, I don't know if they'd be surprised, I'm, but uh, I'm a huge sports fanatic. Uh, I have a, a specific bucket list for sporting events that I, I still want to attend. I've been very fortunate in my life. I've been to you know, two Super Bowls and um, college national football uh, championship game. And, and so, you know, I've Winter Olympics, I got to go in Vancouver. So I'm a huge, huge sports fanatic and, and have a lot of things on my list of sporting events that I want to attend in the future. Okay, so just two follow-up questions. One is, what were the two Super Bowls? And two is, what's what's the big bucket list one that you want to get to next? <laughs> um, so the, the two Super Bowls were when the Broncos uh, won 
uh, both years they beat the Packers, and then the next year they beat the the Falcons um, a, in San Diego, and then in Miami. So it was a it was a cool experience, and we uh, at the time uh, the Broncos were still playing at the old stadium, and we were one of the um, you know I was uh, I was in high school working for my dad, but we had the contract to do all the food for the games in uh, Pat Bull in the owner's box, uh, and oh, that was my cool. my job every Sunday to to be in the box, uh, working and serving food. And so as part of that, we, uh, we got to go to, um, two Super Bowls, which was, was pretty awesome in terms of, uh, what's on my list, the, uh, yeah. uh NCAA final four. I definitely want to go to that. And then, uh, also the Kentucky Derby, which, uh, ah, is happening this weekend, so right? That's on the list too. Yeah, well, for it's pouring rain right now at the Kentucky Derby, so hopefully good, you're not going this year. <laughs> good, year good year not to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, Anthony, thank thank you so much. This has been a, a, I think, a wealth of really important insight around you know business ownership and what it takes to to stand out above the competition. Thank you, Tamara. I, I appreciate you having me. It's been uh, as always a fun conversation. Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listens, bigger impact. Until next time.